0: Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now, can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com register to vote click on the best Olympic and Paralympic podcast category where you can then vote for us to win now you will have to listen to the other nominees as well but let's be honest you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it and we thank you in advance and everybody who votes for us We promise to thank you in our acceptance speech, should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off The Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Torvald and Christopher Dean.
1: Alex Philadelphia. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly
0: pleased. She's up. She's moving nicely. She's got it. She's got it. Yes. Yes. Sally Stable. 132.67. Has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up Yuki On the ice for the Gimlop. The Gimlop. Stop it
1: gold of games have the crowning moments.
0: it is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you once again for an athlete interview as we inch closer and closer and closer to the beijing olympics less than a week to go are you excited i'm excited we all should be excited And it's happening so, so soon. And we are speaking today to another athlete who could be there. I'm saying could because obviously at the time you're listening to this, we will know if she is there or not. But at the time of recording this, we don't know. It's this weird little purgatory we like to give to you, our off-the-podium listeners. Logan Sankey, an American ski jumper who gives a great chat here, another honest, open, raw chat about her time in the sport, how she got into it, her experiences at the Youth Olympics in 2016, how close she came to making the Pyeongchang team in 2018, and just what making an Olympic Games would mean to her as somebody who's committed so much to this sport. And it's a, it's a fascinating chat here with Logan to learn more about everything that I've just mentioned and more. And stay tuned for a fascinating new little trivia segment and when i say new it's only new for logan because this is a very specialized quiz that i had to give her and she does not disappoint just put it that way it's exciting it's fascinating you're gonna love it here is our chat with us ski jumper logan thank you Beijing is getting closer and closer as we all know and we are continuing to speak to athletes involved in winter sports who may or may not be in Beijing on the road there and everything else in between and we're returning to the great sport of ski jumping today to talk to a member of Team USA and talk about her career in the sport, hopes for Beijing and beyond and everything else in between. It is a pleasure to welcome to Off The Podium Logan Sankey, Logan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. As as of us recording this, it's a hundred days out from Beijing today.
0: So it is. Exciting yes. stuff. <laughs> it's getting it's getting excited. When when you see the flame being lit, and then they've unveiled the medals as well, basically, kind of the design. So it's it's really those moments where it's starting to amp up right and that that excitement levels, I'm sure, as an athlete just builds up even more as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially with the short gap this year between the summer and the Winter Olympics, when I was watching the Summer Olympics, I knew that the Winter Olympics were just right around the corner less than a year away. So I've been amped for a while now and just anything to keep the motivation high and keep the the passion flowing is important.
0: As we like to say here and Off the Podium, the real Olympics, the Winter Olympics, of course. So, uh, we're, you know, getting excited <laughs> for that because it's it's that unique thing where it's sort of, you know, back in the day, the Winter and Summer Olympics were in the same year. So you would have the Winter Olympics, of course, and then five to six months later the Summer Games are on. I mean, I'm at an age where I was alive during that period, but I, I don't remember 92 when that last happened, whereas obviously – you sort of haven't been in that period so it's kind of unique That I'm sure that sort of a lot of our older listeners are going like why is this a thing we always had to you know a couple of months between olympics now it's like wow this is the best thing ever two olympics in like six months like bring it on
1: yeah I I was not alive back in that era um but I you know you always have you, you can measure time by Olympics, like every four years, every two years, but you got to go back. You say, Oh, okay, wait, no, but this is when they switched it. This is when these changed. And the same type of thing I think is going to happen with these past years is, oh, wait, no, but those Olympics got switched to 21. <laughs> so you, when you're doing math, when you're telling time based on the passing of Olympics, you got to do some quick maths in your head.
0: It's it's <laughs> going to be something that in in decades to come, when we're trying to explain to our kids and our grandkids that why the Tokyo 2020 Olympics happened in Twenty twenty one people are like that. That makes no sense, though. They happened in twenty twenty one. Why are they still called Tokyo twenty twenty? It's like, well, this little <laughs> thing called COVID exists. So, uh, it's it's going to be sort of interesting to, to explain that. Gr- growing up, did you have sort of a passion for the Olympics? Was this something that you know, growing up, you you always watched and sort of looked at as something that maybe this is something you would like to pursue in your life?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Denver, Colorado. So not not in a ski town, but in a in you know in the Western Rocky mountain area. Um, and so I didn't grow up as a little kid doing any winter Olympic sports. I skied recreationally for fun with my family, but, um, I remember watching the 2006 Torino games on TV at our little, um, our little house in, in Denver. And, um, thinking it looked so cool. And then when we ended up moving to Steamboat, Colorado, which is a mountain town, um, I knew I wanted to start doing some of those winter sports that I had seen on TV. So it wasn't until I was a little bit older that I actually had the, the dream of going to the Olympics, but watching the Olympics on TV is what kind of pushed me into those sports.
0: Were, were there other sports that you were sort of taking part in, you know, outside of some of the the winter sports as well growing up?
1: Oh yeah. I was a soccer player. I dabbled in lacrosse for a while. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the multi-sport athlete. And so, um, even once I did start doing winter sports started, um, I originally started ski racing and then I moved into ski jumping a little bit later, but throughout the whole time, there was a point in my life in high school where I was ski racing, ski jumping, and playing for my high school soccer team all at the same time. And, um, that balance was really important to me. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> what, what brought about the move to Steamboat? Because as, as we're discovering on this show, Steamboat is just seemingly the capital of winter sports in all of, of the US. Like, I mean, everybody who's there just seems to happen to turn into an Olympian. I mean, was it that case of, hey, mom, I've watched the, the Olympic. Let's move to Steamboat. This will help me moving forward.
1: <laughs> um, we actually did it because of my parents' job. So I lived in Denver growing up and then we moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin for a little bit Um and then my parents both ended up getting jobs in Steamboat and it's a place my dad had grow, grown up skiing um, and I, I was just super lucky to be pulled along for the ride and so I'm definitely really grateful for that. Um, a lot of privilege and that opportunity um, that I know a lot of people don't have just based on my parents' jobs.
0: I've got to quickly ask a question then. Denver, Green Bay, I mean, do you go for the Broncos or the Packers? I mean, kind of like, like where, where does the allegiances lie there?
1: I'm a huge Bronco fan. The Packers right. had my love for a little bit, but can't can't be the Broncos. Although this year, <laughs> they got they got a lot of work to do.
0: <laughs> is, is that then like is it? I mean, I can imagine living in a city like Denver where you've kind of got teams in all the leagues. I mean, is it just allegiances lie? So you, you know, you're just kind of going for for the Avalanche. You're going for the the Nuggets, and kind of you know moving forward with that. The Rockies It just that's where the allegiance rise, lies in everything.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a location-based sports fan. Um, I will say I'm not, I I follow football and hockey the most. So I'm a huge Avs fan. Um, and then a big Bronco fan. I cheer for the Rockies and the Nuggets, but I don't follow their seasons nearly as closely.
0: The, I, I, when I went to Denver, um, my friend, we went to a, an Avs game and it was the, the best one I've probably ever been to because I think it was the last game of the season probably like 20. It was just before the ads got good again. So like they hadn't made the playoffs and we were able to get basically, I think like three or four rows back from the boards and like the closest I've ever been, it was amazing. And I was just more excited because I, I go for two teams. I'm a, a Ducks and a Flames fan. And obviously Jerome McGindler, you know, one of my idols. And so I, I was like, Oh, he's playing for the, like, I get to see, you know, Jerome play. There he is. Like, you know, is this Australian guy basically not really getting to see this type of athlete. So yeah, it was, I think it was called the Pepsi Center then. It's not called the Pepsi Center anymore is it
1: no it's ball arena now
0: wow okay yeah. nice arena i i really enjoyed yeah. it it's it's it kind of nice. good there and that's the one thing we're on a tangent here but this is off the podium <laughs> it always happens but I, I love that about the cities in the u.s where all of your stadiums are kind of next to each other you kind of see the football stadium. there's the baseball stadium and it's it's not something we really have in Australia it's kind of it's it's a unique thing and, and downtown as well like it's great so uh Denver's a great city love Denver
1: yeah it is and to your point actually the Nuggets and the Avs play in the same stadium so like yeah. one night it's basketball one night it's, it's hockey and I did joke with my parents recently that my new motivation to go to the Olympics is so that uh hopefully Nathan McKinnon's playing on uh Team USA we can <laughs>
0: you'll be teammates yeah <laughs> yeah that's cool. That's a good way because yeah, obviously the NHL guys are going to be at at Beijing now after not being there in Pyeongchang, so that's uh, that's pretty exciting. In terms of sort of you mentioning the winter sports and, and doing ski racing and then and then ski jumping, kind of what was it about ski jumping that it took you over the edge that this is what you wanted to to pursue instead of ski racing or another winter based sport.
1: Um, sorry, I just was blinking on your question because Nathan McKinnon's a Canadian, but um, <laughs> so it's we okay. Be on the he'll still be, he'll be at the
0: Olympics. He'll be at the Olympics, <laughs> but we'll
1: be comp- we're really yes. competitive. So yes. while I root for the ABS, I'll have to cheer against North um, American teammates, right? Yeah. you are all on the same <laughs> yeah.
0: continent. That's um,
1: sorry. Can you repeat your question? I completely. <laughs> <laughs> You're fitting so
0: well to this show. This is what happens all the time. Like it's it's like you you, you were meant to be on this show. Uh, the question was you know, what drew you to ski jumping over ski racing? So kind of, you know, what was it that that was a sport that you chose rather than say pursuing the ski racing?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I was a ski racer for a long time and wasn't a ski jumper and, um, just growing up in steamboat, we happened to have those ski jumps there. Um, and I'm sure as you've seen in, in downhill ski racing, they're those big downhill jumps and, um, the athletes in that sport try to absorb that. So, cause it's faster to be on the ground than in the air. So as, As a ski team we would go up on the ski jumps actually and practice going as short as possible on the ski jumps um, as kind of training for downhill jumping but i had this really awesome coach and he just because it was super fun would let us try to go as far as possible on our last two jumps of those training sessions and i thought that was so much fun so um, because of that experience training for Alpine, I got to experience the ski jumps and decided to try that out one day a week, um, on top of my other training and just really enjoyed it and eventually decided to make the switch full time.
0: Wow. Wow. Is that, is that, is that a common thing that happens at like going from like a downhill to a ski jumping when you, when you're doing that, or is that kind of frowned upon like do the Alpine skis now look at you and go, Oh, she switched over to Nordic. We oh, don't want to talk about her anymore. <laughs>
1: I still have a lot of friends in Alpine racing. Um, I really love that community as well. Um, I don't think it's super common. I, I ended up switching to ski jumping when I was 15 or 16, which is pretty late. Um, like I know some of my, my teammates, um, on both the men's and women's side have been ski jumping since they were seven earlier, even sometimes. Um, and so I don't think it's necessarily common to switch that late, but I do think that all all little kids ripping around the ski, the ski mountain enjoy going off those little jumps on the side of the hill. So it's not like you're just doing it in a more controlled environment and slightly bigger. So it's not not any crazy leaps.
0: Which I lo- I've loved learning about the progression that you have when you start into ski jumping. About you know I'm sure like myself many Australians probably just think like oh how are these like you know young kids just jumping off a 90 meter jump straight away obviously you have the progression kind of moving up but do you remember your very first jump getting onto the 90 or the, the 120 and what that was like
1: yeah so I actually jumped the the 120 meter on alpine skis first as part of that training for um for ski racing but I do remember my first, which it was scary to say the least, even on Alpine skis. But I do remember my first jump on ski jumping skis where the heel lifts up and you can actually like get a little bit more movement. Um, and they don't have edges. So that was my big issue for my first ever jump on jump skis. I did the jump was fine, made it down. And then I was trying to stop and I didn't have any edges on my skis and just slid straight to my butt.
0: (laughs) Wow. Kind of worked that way. But you landed, though. That's the main thing, though, besides that bit at the end. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. I landed. I made it down. It was just the stopping that I didn't know how to do. And
0: is it was it a level kind of, I mean, downhill, very adrenaline-based, speed, you know, you're going incredibly fast, similar with, with the ski jump. I mean, is that just something that has always been something you've enjoyed, that adrenaline, the speed, kind of that aspect of sports like that?
1: Um. Honestly, if this was two years ago, I might've told you yes. Um, and kind of fibbed a little bit, um, because I think that as winter athletes, which are a lot more kind of like extreme sports type things, um, we're supposed to be fearless and supposed to have this like adrenaline kick. And I would say I probably have it more so than maybe a general person, but I definitely get very scared a lot of times. Um, And I have learned the first step to overcoming that is admitting it. And so I think that anyone who says they never get scared is probably lying to you a little bit, depending on the conditions and whatnot. But um, no, I don't know if I really have like this search for adrenaline, but I still really enjoy ski jumping. (laughs)
0: It's it's very interesting to hear that because... You're right. It's not something you often hear athletes saying that I get scared or something like that, which it's interesting. You say that to, to admit that it kind of, it, it, I guess helps or kind of has that. I mean, is that something then that if you're working with your coach or your sports psychiatrist, that they're helping with that aspect by talking about it, if that makes sense. And kind of, you can use that to help you jump, compete better.
1: Yeah. I think there are pros and cons because I think like for a while I was struggling because I didn't know why I couldn't kind of break through that level. And, um, admitting that I was a little bit nervous in certain conditions, um, I think was a good breakthrough for me, but on the flip side, um, like you don't want to be at the top thinking to yourself, Oh, I'm scared right now. Like you need to put that aside and, and focus on the technique you need to do and, and things like that. Um, So I think it, in a lot of ways, it's, I'm definitely glad that I have, have come to realize that. And I'm, because now I can work on it. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you say it, then it conjures it. It's like, you don't, don't think about a pink elephant. Oh, now you're exactly going to think about a pink elephant. Like, I don't want to think about the conditions and how I'm nervous, but I do need to recognize that that's an aspect of training that I need to work on
0: the thing i love learning about ski jumping by, by speaking to to yourself and, and and many different ski jumpers is that mental aspect it's kind of it's been likened a lot to golf through many of our interviews and kind of that that preparation which it's it makes so much sense in a in a sport like that to kind of have that mental readiness i mean was that when you made the switch to alpine from alpine to ski jumping were you aware of that real mental aspect that ski jumping has or was that kind of one of the things that you found interesting, challenging by the time you've switched to ski jumping full time?
1: Well, I will say that I think every single sport has a huge mental aspect. So it's not like ski jumping is unique in the fact that you need to be really mentally tough or, um, or men- like have, have mental training. I think every single athlete and no matter the sport can benefit from mental training. Um, but what's unique about ski jumping is it's not the person who's the strongest or the person who can, run the fastest or have the most endurance that's going to be good at ski jumping. In fact, like the harder you try, a lot of times the worse you do. Um, So I think that's, that's something that's different from it with ski jumping versus some other sports where definitely mental strength is important, but um, mental strength is the most important thing. Like you can, you, you don't have to be really strong or really flexible or, or whatever, those things definitely help you as a ski jumper, but you can be a really great ski jumper. If you have great technique and great discipline in that technique, even if you're not the strongest person or any, any other multitude of things.
0: It's where it's so so fascinating too, because I'm sure a lot of people still think that ski jumping is just all about the distance, right? And obviously, there's a key judging element to the sport. Whereas, you know, if we were talking to a long jumper or a high jumper, they've got that barrier; they've got to jump into that that sand pit and and reach a certain. They know they can go further. They know they can jump higher. Whereas, as you're saying, there, it's sort of you could go the furthest, but if your technique's crap, then, you know, you've got to got to balance that out there, which, I mean, it really is one of the most unique sports that exists really, isn't it?
1: It's definitely, it's definitely a strange one. It does take a certain type of person, I think, to be a ski jumper and to to keep with it for sure.
0: Which, how would you describe them? What's the type of person? If you were to describe a ski jumper to somebody who had no idea what the sport was, like what what are the key words that you would use to describe yourself?
1: Uh, Actually, that's so hard because we are so different as individuals. Um, But I guess you do have to be a little bit crazy in and not in the flinging yourself off a high ski jump sense, which is definitely true. But in terms of you do the same thing over and over and over again, just the same ski jump, the same trying to do the same technique, but perfect little tiny pieces of it. And um, that level of detail is, is really tough. So I guess maybe, maybe my biggest attribute of a ski jumper would be detail oriented because a tiny change in the direction of your hands or the angle of your feet or can make a huge difference. And it's all about making those little tiny, tiny changes.
0: What are some things that you use on the psychological things to help you out? We spoke with Paige Jones. She talked about poetry or something that she liked to recite to herself, listening to music, things like that. Do you have little things that you like to do, be it in training or a competition that kind of help you gain yourself a mental advantage?
1: Um, so I would say before competition, so outside of the arena, like the the competition arena, I'm a big knitter. Um, and so that's like, if I'm getting stressed, if you have a wind delay or something, I'll pull out my knitting project and just kind of use that to, to relax and not look at the clock or do whatever, just be relaxed and ready to go. Um, So that's what I do outside of training. And then in in competition and on the hill, I like to focus um, really in tune to a piece of my body. Um, So I'm not someone who really improves by thinking about abstract concepts, I like to think about exactly what I'm going to do with my body. So whether it's like a little piece of my core engaging or like flexing my heels or something like that, I have like a a physical cue that I can feel in my body that keeps me present in that moment and that I can like make sure that I'm performing on the jump.
0: Fascinating. And do you alternate that? Like today it's it's my core, today it's my, my leg. Like, you know, you kind of, you try and sort of spice it up a little bit by working on something different each time.
1: Yeah, it definitely depends on like what is lacking in my ski jump, what helps. And, and I, I have a very thorough, um, training log and competition journal that I take notes in. So I, I can say, oh, okay last time i was having this issue on the ski jump thinking about this thing helped me let's go back to that and try that again because there's only especially in a ski jump there's it's so short there's only so many things you can think of at once like you can't have five things that you're working on during a single ski jump and so it's really important to focus on one maybe two things um and so sometimes then when you switch to a new thing, what you were working on before might get lost. So I think it's important to keep notes and, and have something like a journal so that you can refer back to and, and remember what helped you in the past when you were working on similar issues.
0: We saw that with uh, an Australian um, high jumper in Tokyo, silver medalist Nicola McDermott. She, after every jump, would sit down and write in a journal uh, and kind of that got a lot of media attention here because it was kind of, it was just strange to see someone do that in the middle of an Olympic final, sit down and write in like dear diary. But obviously <laughs> that was something that she was sort of doing. She was writing heights down and kind of, you know, she's a very spiritual person, so she's like writing things down to keep her motivated, which it's it's fascinating to watch kind of, athletes have these little things that they're able to to, to do to to help them and particularly in a day and age now where you know the mental aspect as you were saying in any sport is big but we're really focusing on that aren't we like we just saw that with Simone Biles and kind of that becoming a real aspect of the sport so the mental health aspect of the sport is is not only helping you as athletes improve but also outside of the sport it, it has that flow on effect right
1: yeah I would say there's at least in my mind, there's a different a distinct difference between, um, like mental health and mental performance. So like you, you have a sports psychologist and their job is different than say your therapist. And I think both are really important, um, for your health as a human being and for an athlete. Um, and I think mental health is something that's really important for everyone borderline, but like also, uh, or baseline, I should say, but also, um, for athletes. And I I think that's kind of like, if you're looking at like a hierarchy of needs for an athlete, like you need that to, to be able to build upon that's like your strong foundation. So your, your health as a human being physically, mentally, emotionally, um, is, is what you can build upon as an athlete. So you can't have performance, a performance coach or performance mentality um, with mental health, with your mentality before you have that baseline or you you can have it, but it's not going to be as strong. You're not going to have as much to build on.
0: Which obviously, as we said, it's leaps and bounds in terms of where we're at now to say even 10 years ago, you know, we can obviously look back sort of, you know, in time, but that also, I guess too, just on that topic of leaps and bounds, the progression of, of women's ski jumping of course this is going to be the third olympics which it's been included in uh and you know gaining through you know hopefully we're going to see both a larger normal hill one day in an olympics and kind of you know have those equal programs but i mean how have you seen since you got started because i believe you attended a, a fly girls camp in 2014 which was sort of just starting back then and kind of progression where we are now have you as you've gone up through the ranks seen more and more you know, females wanting to be involved in in the sport or is there more that can be done maybe to get more girls involved in ski jumping?
1: Yeah, definitely. So that fly girls camp, um, was actually before I fully committed to switching to ski jumping. And that was kind of the impetus for me, um, being there, being with other female ski jumpers, um, seeing the opportunities that were, uh, available to me in the sport, uh, that camp was really what, solidified my decision to switch from ski racing to ski jumping. Um, and so obviously I owe a huge thanks to that camp, but I think it's a great, it's a great example to all of the young women out there who are joining the sport, who are, or who are trying to make, get, get further in the sport that these are opportunities that are afforded to you that maybe weren't in the past. So before a, a young girl who's maybe in high school, um, trying to think about, Oh, I I like ski jumping. I like cross-country skiing. I like Alpine skiing, whatever. Um, but you know, there's no, there's no path to the Olympics for me in ski jumping. Um, so I'm going to go do cross-country skiing or I'm going to go be an Alpine skier. Um, I think there was a huge generation of women that were lost because there was no path to the Olympics. Um, and so those women went to pursue a different sport where that was an opportunity. And so I think, Now with the inclusion in the Olympics, we're starting to see kind of that base rise a little bit more as as those people get older. Um, And so I'm kind of at the the top of that, um, the tail end of the the generation that didn't have Olympics, and now kind of the the front end of the generation that does have the Olympics to look towards. Um, And it's really great to see all of those people behind me who are really pushing the level. but always there can be more women. There can be more women involved in everything all the time,
0: no matter what it is. A hundred percent, and and it's sort of. But it's it is that weird level of exposure that an Olympics brings, though, isn't it? Because it's not like women's ski jumping didn't exist, but it, when it gets to the Olympics, then it's got that exposure. For example, as an Australian, we're never seeing ski jumping until we're watching the Winter Olympics. It's just not a sport that we ever see, so we're exposed to it then. And that's when you might have a young girl watching the Olympics in 2014 going, oh, I've always liked this sport, but I've wanted to be an Olympian. Now it's at the Olympics. Hey, I'm going to pursue this further. So it is kind of interesting. You're saying you're sort of at that generation now where you're kind of, we're basically got people growing up, girls growing up now where this is just a standardized thing. I can be an Olympian in ski jumping. Whereas, you know, when you first started or kind of were on that precipice of joining the sport, it was literally just being introduced.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I will say not only has the fact that it's been the Olympics brought more people in, but also um, renovation of different venues all over the country has has been important as well. Because unfortunately, ski jumping is the same with a lot of winter sports, but ski jumping is something that you can't really pursue unless you live or move near a training center or a place that has a ski jump. And so I think that's one of the big barriers to entry in ski jumping is there's not a facility near you. You might see it on the Olympics and be like, okay, but I live in Texas. Like there's, where am I going to go ski jump? So it's tough to make that decision to move to a place that has a ski jump. And so I think, uh, as a sport, um, we need to, uh, try to figure out a way that we can bring more people into the sport from more different backgrounds. and. And I think that is something that will push the sport forward a lot um, because right now it's just limited based on, based on where you live, based on where you grew up um, based on where your parents decided to move like with me. So um, that's another big barrier.
0: Which I'm saying right now, if you ever want to help break those barriers, Australia has never had an Olympic ski jumper. So send a, a crack crew out to Australia to recruit get some people on board. Like we may not have any jumps here, but we can work around it. So like, you know, just like break the glass ceiling of Australian Olympic ski jumpers. It (laughs) it can, it can happen one day, Logan, you could be part of history.
1: (laughs) There's no ski jumps in the Southern hemisphere. I mean, what Mm. are we in the summer? We have to jump on plastic, but you know, we got to build a jump where, you know, we got, we got the seasons reversed so we can go down and train on snow.
0: in Well, that's, in the summer. that's it. We, I mean, like when we talk to our alpine skis or our snowboarders like that, they can come to some of our resorts here, at, you know, Threadbow or, or Mount, you know, Buller and places like that, because that's why we're, we're good at freestyle skiing and, and <laughs> snowboarding. And it's come leaps and bounds in this country, but all you need is one, you know, once we have, we have bobsledders and, 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 and riders and skeleton racers who we don't have a track, but they, they make do so like, you know, come on, we can do it for ski jumping.
1: Yeah, just put me in touch. Where are the where are the young women in Australia that want to be ski jumpers? If you're listening to this,
0: come on, hit me up. be part <laughs> of history. Like literally, you like there is a young girl listening to this today who will become Australia's first ever not just female ski jumper, but first ever ski jumper. Like that's history. I, I'm from the state of Tasmania, proud Tasmanian, and Tasmania has never produced a Winter Olympian. So. I've got many goals in life to become an Olympian. I'm still 34, plenty of time. Uh, <laughs> uh, like not only can I break that barrier of, of me going to the Olympics for a personal achievement, but to be the first Tasmanian, like that would be amazing, the first Tasmanian winter Olympian. So, you know, yeah. let's, let's get on board. Let's create history out there, listeners. Come on.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: yes. Works that way well. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Speaking of Olympics in general, you went to the Youth Olympics in 2016. And it's one of my favourite topics. I love talking mm-hmm. to our guests who have been to the Youth Olympics. What was that experience like to, to be able to go to a, an event like that? And and was it a case of like wetting your appetite to, to push towards the, the senior, I don't want to say normal Olympics, I guess the full <laughs> Olympics, the non-Youth Olympics?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it was actually one of my first international events. Um, and so... I was definitely a little bit naive going into it and, and got kind of caught up in this, in the spectacle of everything. Um, And to see the level of all the athletes there was um, a little bit jarring to start and then definitely turned into inspiration for sure. Um, And uh, I don't know, I think two things, one, it definitely should I go to the, the, full Olympics, the non youth Olympics, Olympics <laughs> I think that experience will definitely help me. Um, like I, now I kind of know like, okay, this is what a type of an event like this is like, we have to go through security, you have different things to get to the Hill and, and things like that. So that won't be as much of a shock um, in the future. And then also I think it definitely was kind of like a spark for sure for me to say, okay, this is what the the best people my age in the world can compete like. And and now I have to get on my horse and go try to reach that level myself. Um So I think those two things were the biggest things I gained from these Olympics.
0: And it's also a case too, because as we're finding out a lot with winter sports is that you don't really have these multi-sport events that a lot of the summer athletes have outside of an Olympic Games, right? Like you don't have a Pan Ams or a, or a Commonwealth Games or something like that. So is it also a case too of, you can not only just go off and enjoy maybe watching the, the snowboarding, the, the figure skating, things like that, but it's also a case of you can, you can, you know, shoot the shit with some of these guys and girls and basically be like, Hey, so like you're, a, you're, you're in skeleton. Tell me the, you know, the aspect of that. I want to learn more and, and kind of, you know, learn from other athletes as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, my roommates at youth Olympics were a cross country skier a skeleton and a luge athlete so a bunch of different people two sliding sports two skiing sports but um the type of training and the type of athletes that they were was much different from what i was and so um it was definitely cool to to see that and then unfortunately i think maybe it won't quite be like that in um in beijing but getting to interact with people from different countries um people from all from the U S and from different countries and all different sorts of sports. Um, and getting to watch those events was really cool. Um, I I wish that could be the case for the Beijing Olympics as well. I don't think um, we get to stay to watch all of the other events, um, this year, but it was still very cool when I was, had the opportunity to do it.
0: I'm a a massive Olympic geek clearly because I'm hosting an Olympics podcast, but do do you get sort of caught up in, Things like pin trading, you know, like I want to trade a uniform, like, oh, I really like the Liechtenstein uniform, have a Team USA shirt, give me yours. Like, you know, you kind of get in the hype of all of that sort of thing.
1: I wasn't the biggest trader on my team, but I do actually have an Australian Youth Olympics uh, kind of like quarter zip thing that I traded one of our USA quarter zips for. I got a couple of different things. I have, I have a fair number of pins and a couple of traded articles of clothing, but I, I was by no means the, the biggest trader doing multi-stage <laughs> trades on, on the team, which I definitely saw going on, which was pretty fun.
0: So how did that work with the Australian one then? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? Kind of how did that work?
1: Um, I don't remember exactly. Um, I think we were on a bus together and they had just finished. They were like getting ready to pack up or something. And they were like, Hey, I got this. You got anything we can trade for? And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: exciting that way, which is also like one thing too, which is unique is sort of the age range that you have at a youth Olympics. And I can imagine that when you're out at a World Cup or World Championship, places like that, obviously there's a bigger discrepancy when it comes to the ages. So is it also that element that you are really putting yourself up against athletes who are your age who are this up-and-coming, you know, crop? Like we obviously, obviously just seen, uh, you know, Emma win a World Championship and she won the gold back in 2016. So like kind of you've got that element where people are progressing at the same time. So like you can really, I guess, see where you're at almost at that, that point in your career?
1: Yeah, I think I, I can't speak for other sports because I don't know them as, um, intimately, but for ski jumping, like some of those, those women or young women that were winning gold and silver, um, at youth Olympics were actually pretty competitive on the world cup level. Um, ski jumping is a sport that you can definitely excel at at a pretty young age. Um, even like internationally, uh, c- competing against everyone, not just in your age range. And so, um, I definitely like some of those those people who were there, I knew from watching World Cups, which isn't something I had ever done, but I had watched them on TV, watch results and and to see those names that were already on results sheets of the World Cup and then be like, OK, hey, I'm competing against these right now. And this is the gap between me and them. Um, and they're they're at already that highest level um, was definitely kind of crazy. Um, I don't know if that's the same necessarily in all of the sports that are represented at the youth Olympics, but at least for me, that was my experience.
0: In terms of post 2016, was there any hopes or aspirations that you could make the, the Pyeongchang team? I mean, kind of was, was there that possibility that, that could have happened? And, and if so, how close did you get to 2018?
1: So I think technically I missed it by one spot last go around wow um it was a little bit oh there go the dogs here
0: we go the the dogs are ready
1: (laughs) um yeah so I I missed technically I missed it by one spot last time um and but I won't say I was really expecting to go because um the the women that were ahead of me were women who were older than me they had been in the sport for a long time they had kind of pushed, they were the the people that pushed to get it into the Olympics. And I really do think that they deserve to be going, um, because of some of the different, uh, like qualification rules and the points you have to get, like it ended up being a little bit close for a little bit, um, kind of waiting to see the last results come in. But, um, I I wouldn't say like I I was expecting to go, but it was not completely out of the realm of possibility.
0: Which that, of course, it's disappointing then if you miss out by one spot, but on a weird level, if you're not really expecting or that's maybe not your target, like it's got to be a bit of a boost in the confidence though to think to yourself like, holy crap, like I was maybe thinking 2022 was my realistic chance, but I was like this close to making a team, you know, four years in advance. So, like, does that help you, I guess, kind of moving forward into your comedy and particularly as you sort of move more into the senior circuit kind of from that point?
1: Yeah, I guess I would say that like being prideful has never worked for me. Like, um, I, I don't think that, you know, saying, Oh, I, I was this close one time, so that therefore means that I can do it in a future time. Um, I don't think that's the way that my my brain works. Um, I think if anything, maybe I was like, Oh shoot, I, I was that close. Like, I I better work my butt off so that next time around I don't have any regrets and I don't say, wow, I, I was that close one more time. Um, and so I think it definitely was a motivator for me, but but not necessarily in a like, hey, look, it's it's right there. I can get it more of like a, okay, you were that close that time, but we're not going to, that's not going to happen a second time.
0: Which now brings us into sort of the lead up to Beijing. So sort of from that period to now, how are you tracking and kind of like, what is the process now to get you that debut Olympic spot in Beijing?
1: Yeah. So, um, unfortunately uh, for women, there's still, while this is our third time in the games, there's still only a limited number of women that are allowed to go, which is significantly less than the number of men that are allowed to go. Um, And they cap that at 40. So essentially there's a little bit of a weird thing, but you, you essentially have to be ranked in the top 40 women in the world. And then, Um, your country gets spots allocated based on that and then your country can decide who fills those spots. So there's a couple of tiers and weird things, but um, right now our our team as a whole focus, we need to work as a group rather than individuals so that we can actually earn one of at least one, ideally three or four of those 40 spots that since women, they're only allowed to be 40 women at the Olympics. Um, so as a whole Team USA, we need to work together to earn those spots first before we can decide which of us on Team USA gets that spot. Um, and so that's kind of what we need to do first. So at this point, like you can't even think about where your standing is on, on the team, on just the American team, because if we don't have, spots if we don't have any of those 40 spots to go to the olympics it doesn't matter if you're the best american um so that's kind of where we're at right now
0: that's such a fascinating aspect of it because as you're saying you've got to work together to get the spots but at the same time i can't imagine that the coaches and the selectors are not going okay well you know, Logan's jumping better. So we've got to keep an eye on her. Cause I mean, like you talk about that, man, but there's, there's got to be some part of your mind thinking, well, okay, got these spots, but I've still got to show that I'm the person that if we get one spot, they're going to choose me.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, for sure. Like you, you want to be the person that gets the spot. Like if you, if you're the person that earns the spot for the team, then you got to be feeling like, okay, like I'm, I want to be, I was the person that earned that spot. I think I deserve to go there. There is an element of that, but at the same time, um, like by no means can you root for your teammates to do poorly, which is bad sportsmanship to begin with. You should never, that's not in the Olympic spirit. Um, but you can't be saying, Oh, okay. Like I didn't score points or I didn't do very well, but at least none of my teammates did well either, because that's not helping us as a team. That's not going to help you get a spot to go to the Olympics. So it definitely is. I think it, it's a dynamic that is a little bit strange, but at least for our team, I think um, is is a little bit of a plus. Like ideally we would have just four spots on lock guaranteed and then we'd just be fighting it out between our team. But I think that can create kind of a toxic environment. So the fact that we have to work together as a team and any, any teammate doing well is good for the team itself, um, I think is a real positive as far as the team environment goes.
0: Which is another thing too, which is always so fascinating to me about winter sports is that pretty much the majority of all winter sports qualification is right up until like a week or two, sometimes even before the Olympics. Whereas we've had a lot of summer guests on the show who, you know, six months out from Tokyo, they knew they were going like that. They they were in a lock. So it's just, it's so fascinating. And also too, like you're in the midst of a season generally, aren't you? So like generally, the Olympics is just stop four on your on your World Cup tour or something along line those as well, which, again, doesn't really happen in the summer sports. So it's just it's – just, this is why it goes back to my point, like when I said these are the real Olympics. The Winter Olympics are the real Olympics, right?
1: <laughs> well, I, I see what you're saying, but I will counter you and say that the Summer Olympics are – much more accessible and much more available to a way bigger share of the population and there's a lot of privilege that comes with being able to participate in a winter sport and so i do love the winter olympics i do love the athleticism and the adrenaline of all of the sports and watching them but i i, I don't know if you can say it's the real olympics if a huge segment of the population is excluded from participating in it
0: it's a, it's a, it's a very good counter i like that i'll <laughs> counter back by saying as an australian I think we see like two of these sports. So like, I'm just so fascinated by the fact like, I can watch swimming. I can watch people run all the time. It's, it's, you know, that's just an Australian thing, but I, I'm never going to watch ski jumping Nordic combined. What the hell is that? Like curling, like what are these things going on? So it's just, it's that fascination, I think of uh, kind of just like, Hey, these, these are pretty cool. And also I think the ratio of sports in a winter Olympics, because what, there's, there's 10, 12 sports, you know, it comes from a fact where, there's not really a dud sport at the Winter Olympics. They're all entertaining where, again, I'm not trying to bag out the summer games. I love the Summer Olympics, <laughs> but, like, I mean, I'm not going to sit down for four days straight and watch golf. Like, I like golf, yeah. but I'm not going to watch golf for four days where I'll watch curling for a couple of hours and be enthralled.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you there. I I will watch probably any Winter Olympic sport for, for hours, but I don't know if I have hours of, of all of the summer sports in me. But, you know, a, a couple <laughs> – a couple games or two, a badminton, yeah, yeah. Sign me right
0: up. <laughs> badminton, Badminton's one of those ones for sure. And uh, like, it's it's weird actually. Just you're in Tokyo, it always it's an Olympic thing when you all of a sudden go like, oh, I'm gonna watch the archery or I'm gonna watch shooting. On paper, doesn't sound exciting, but when you start watching, you're like holy shit. This is like riveting. Like they've got to hit the next target or they're eliminated. Like I'm on board. Like, like, I just want to keep watching it. Like it, some of those sports, which all of a sudden you discover are weirdly entertaining when you think they're not.
1: Yeah. And I will say from the athlete perspective, um, to, to my experience, giving context to all those other athletes that I see on TV is like ski jumping is a super niche sport. Like you said, you only watch it once, once a year or once every four years, but but I spend my entire life pursuing it. So for me to turn on archery or to turn on ping pong or something that maybe is an obscure sport to me, I, I at least from the athlete perspective, like to, to look at those athletes and say like, they are dedicating their whole lives to this. And uh, as a fellow athlete, like I can respect that and think about all of these people, all these people in all these different sports that I'm gonna watch for 10 minutes, but they've dedicated their entire lives to, I think is important context as well.
0: Which, which on that page, I mean, this might be a difficult question to answer because at the same time, you're in that process. You don't know if you're going to the Olympics. But like, let's play that card that you are going to Beijing. You are going to go to your first Olympics. Knowing that, as you said, you've put your entire life into this sport. This has been a dream of yours since you were a young girl. Like, What would that mean to you to, to be able to line up in Beijing to, to say that you are an Olympian, that you have, have achieved everything that you set out to achieve?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely like the feather in the cap, right? It's like the thing that you as a little kid is your goal that you work towards that you, you've always dreamed of. And that would mean a, a ton for me. And I would be so incredibly proud of myself. Um, and then on the other hand, I think it's really important to recognize that like being an olympian is in some senses just a title and it it means so much to you as an individual and it means it carries a lot of weight but your olympic experience is is maybe two weeks of your life if you if you go to more maybe it's eight weeks of your entire collective experience and and those two weeks doesn't really define who I am as a person. So while I would be incredibly proud of myself to achieve that goal, um, it's not the end all be all of, of who I am as a person. I have career aspirations outside of sport. I have an entire life to live. I'm only 23. And so I don't want, I want the Olympics to be something that I really enjoy and something I'm really proud of myself for accomplishing, but I don't want it to be the, the highlight of my life, the pinnacle of everything that I achieve.
0: Well, outside of sports, I believe you're studying engineering. Is is, is that correct?
1: Yes, I am so, a prospective mechanical engineer.
0: <laughs> right. So I was going to ask, like, where where is that leading to, and and what was it that kind of drew you to to that, you know, career path, essentially?
1: So I've always loved math and science, um, and I think that ski jumping and engineering end up ended up complementing each other in this like really surprising way for me um and diving more into my engineering studies has definitely helped me in ski jumping because not only like School is really hard um, mentally, but in a very different way than ski jumping. And those complement each other in a way that's really important for me and my training to kind of get that mental break. Um, And also, using different language and understanding like the dynamics of flight and different fluids, relationships, and forces and and angles that I uh, talk about in my engineering classes has really helped me when I apply that to my ski jumping and say, okay, like I know based on all of this school that I've done, that if I can get my body at a lower angle and have a smaller angle of attack, I will fly further. And so for my brain, the way I work, like that is something that helps me um, think about the connection between those, the engineering concepts and the ski jumping concepts, and they both pursuing both has made me better at each individually. Um, And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Kind of balances out well. Does it help in the knitting? Because I, I like this. You mentioned I was going to bring up knitting, uh, you know, as one of the questions because I've, I've looked at your Instagram, I've read some interviews and that, and you mentioned this. But, like, I mean, how, how does that help with with that side of things?
1: Um, knitting is just kind of, at least for me, it's like a creative mindlessness a little bit. Like I can look at different patterns, make up my own patterns and, and do it, but then it's kind of a way that I can, I don't like to sit still. I don't like to do nothing, but sometimes you you, like as an athlete, you need to recover. Like you need to have time where you're sitting, doing nothing, watching TV, doing whatever. Um, and so if if I'm just completely sitting still, I can't sit and watch Netflix for three hours without doing anything. So knitting allows me to like recover while still at least like being a little bit engaged with my body. (laughs)
0: and is it also something that you still play the guitar or to read here play the guitar poorly is that something that you still do
1: um so that's something my mom really wishes I did um she she's the one who has my guitar dreams i did get a guitar for like my 16th or 17th birthday to try to compliment stuff but I don't know if you've ever tried to travel around the world with a guitar, but I am not a committed enough guitar player to travel with that at all. Um, And so my, I definitely, if I tried to play the guitar today, it would be very, very poorly.
0: Right. So it's, it's, I mean, skis are hard. Like you don't want skis and a guitar basically going through customs, you know?
1: No, but they're going to be like, come on, come on woman. What are you doing? (laughs) One big thing,
0: one big thing's enough basically. Another fun fact that you apparently know every single capital in the world. You're, you're very good yes, at world I do. capitals.
1: And you know, I stump people with Australia. I'll be like, oh, you think you know capitals? What's the capital of Australia? And they're like, "Uh, Sydney. And I'm like, yep. mm, no, you don't yep. know.
0: Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough it's, one.
1: It's, people don't know it.
0: was even like, I, I lived in Canada for a bit, and even people are like, Capital Canada, Canada, Toronto. Either. No, no, yeah. no, it's not. I, I want to like, I, I love this little interview that you did on us Nordic, basically, you know, prior to, I think, uh, I don't know if that was going to the US Olympics or just for the site, but it, it literally says here, Logan knows all the capitals of the countries in the world test her sometime. So I'm oh, always one no. for a challenge. Uh, we, we, we do usually close off our interviews with sort of a get to know you style quiz, but I've gone stuff it. No, I'm going to test this to see how good that Logan is. At World Capital. So I've Googled no. Hardest World Capitals Quiz. Okay. Now, I will say that BuzzFeed comes up with one, and it can't be that hard if even I know some of the answers to this. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to go for for the BuzzFeed one. I'm going to go for the Britannica.com oh, no.
1: okay. capitals.
0: So uh, we'll see how many we can get through. Let's start off with what is the capital of Nicaragua?
1: Uh... Manamas.
0: Uh, Managua. Managua.: Yes, there there it is. Thank you. All right. Yep, yep. good job. That's one point on the board. Are the capital <laughs> of Grenada.
1: Ooh. you've picked really hard ones. Um, St. <laughs> George.:
0: It is correct? Yes, look at that. Two from two. Wow. OK. Peru.:
1: Oh, that one's easy. Uh, Manila uh, Lima.
0: Yes, I think even I probably would have gotten that one. Just, uh, you know, put that. uh, Oh, okay, I know this one, but this is a geography-based one for me. Uh, Indonesia. Uh, Jakarta. Correct, yes. I have, like,
1: mnemonic devices, so it takes me a second, you
0: know. Okay, right. I like that kind of thinking. Uh, The Bahamas. Nassau. Correct. Yes, as a as a James Bond fan, very familiar with that location. A lot of the movies filmed there. Okay, these ones are getting easier. Portugal. <laughs> oh, Lisbon. I, lo- I do love the multiple choices here. That they literally have Caracas, Buenos Aires, Ottawa, or Lisbon. Uh, oh,
1: you're doing. You get multiple choices, and you're just making well, I, me I, I, it the I, top I, of I'm my making head. you
0: work for it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't know the answers to half of these, Logan. I need some sort of assistance. Um. All right. I'm in Spain. We're getting easy now. Yeah, Madrid. <laughs> okay, let's come on. Come on, Encyclopedia Britannica. I expect more of you. Okay, Haiti. Uh,
1: Port-au-Prince.
0: Correct. Yes. Wow, I like this. We're not going to go through all 195 here. I'm just <laughs> okay, letting you good. know. But I just uh, uh, Look, okay, I'm going to go to the hard ones. Germany. I'm sure we know Germany. Germany's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Fr- uh, fr- uh, What's the capital of France? Yep, we'll move on from that one. Um, oh, Uzbekistan.
1: Ooh, uh the stands i always get tripped up Tashkent.
0: correct wow this is epic can we make like naming capitals an olympic sport there you <laughs> go uh costa rica uh, uh san jose this is this is great i'll tell you one thing i would i, I would how are you at flags world flags
1: Oh, I'm not as good at world flags, but world flags, those are images. You can't do a podcast
0: about them. Yeah, I know. Images. That's that's where it's tricky because I like to show off my flag skills. Like I think <laughs> I could challenge you at a flag competition, but not really on that. All right, uh, Kenya. Uh, Nairobi. Correct. All right, let's do a couple more of these. Uh, Libya.
1: Sorry, did you say Libya?
0: Libya, yes. Tripoli correct okay let's do i'll do two more and then we we'll, then we will ask you that get to know your questions i feel like we need to uh now i always mispronounce this country correctly. djibouti djibouti, djibouti.
1: capital of djibouti is djibouti
0: it is Yep. Yeah, there you go thank you uh and our last there was a, one was like a
1: doctor pepper commercial or something with that ah. back in the day yeah
0: okay right there you go uh ghana uh accra look at that that is that is just perfect but hey, look the next one I click on Australia the options uh, they give Canberra <laughs> Guatemala City prayer or Majuru. like wow it's not
1: even, yeah it doesn't even give you hard ones does, does I will as a like- disclaimer I'm I don't say I'm not I don't guarantee that I pronounce everything correctly um I'm I'm not a pronunciation specialist say
0: say say the capital of Australia for me let's see if you get that right
1: Canberra
0: Ooh, close Canberra more, sort of more Bruh. cam you could do it it's, it's kind of it's it's funny because like it's sort of uh you know like melbourne a lot of americans say melbourne and it's like oh, Brisbane. oh I got, so i gotta like uh, shorten it a little
1: bit so yeah, yeah.
0: Ex- exactly it's, i mean it's, it's the australian way we just shortened it we're lazy you know like I, you know if you got
1: what can canberra
0: canberra yeah basically like can and bra basically it's probably the easiest like way if I, so it.
1: i just pretend like i got a southern accent like hey yeah
0: yeah oh, like down da-
1: there to Canberra.
0: yeah exactly don't don't look at every single letter and think you've got to pronounce every word that's too much work right it's like if you say toronto in Canada, toronto like you get rid of the t you know it right. just kind of goes that way what could you do with denver like denner no that doesn't that doesn't work mm-hmm. the nah you can't really shorten denver mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't really work so all right the, these these questions we'll get to the real ones now so Team Canada gave these to their athletes uh, ahead of Rio and Pyongchang, just sort of a get-to-know-you style uh, question. As I often say, there is a drawing element if you want some homework, Logan. Like, there's usually, like, draw a picture of yourself or a teammate or something like that, so uh, optional extras if you want to uh, add that to it. But I'll start off with your favourite ever Olympic moment is...
1: Um, well, I wasn't alive for it, but I grew up, you can't, you can't escape childhood without watching Miracle. And yes. I think like both the movie version, but also watching the the clips of it. Um, I think that just like brings up so much emotion. You can tell on the announcers and the fans and the players, like that's probably one of my favorite Olympic moments.
0: We we use that in our intro for our winter athletes with our sort of commentary snippet. We we have the, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Yeah. Like we, you got to have that involved there, like an epic, epic moment. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be?
1: See, I can't. The ants, you've interviewed ants all these ski jumpers. Everyone's going to say flying. So well, it's I surprising.
0: I Some people don't because they would say, well, I already fly. I don't need to fly. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know. um, I won't say flying. I'll say that I wish I could teleport.
0: Yes. That works a treat. That would just be so handy. Imagine just sitting around yeah. your house. like, Oh, I'm going to go to Haiti today. I'm bored. Why not? You know, yeah. Whoop. Travel there to you different go.
1: countries, but also, you know, as an athlete traveling, like you get homesick, you miss your family. It'd be nice to just be able to go home for a second. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Like, you know, night before the Olympics. Oh, I might just pop in and see mum. How you doing? <laughs> doing well? Olympics tomorrow? Sweet. Uh, you might have already answered this. I don't know if it would be a different answer, but uh, your favourite sports movie is?
1: Mm, remember the Titans.
0: Ah, good one. Yes, Denzel. We, uh, yeah. we love, love a bit of that. Good movie. Your funniest childhood memory is?
1: Mm, should I give you the really embarrassing one I don't know if I absolutely. want absolutely now that you say that so, you have to <laughs> okay well I'll be honest you know everyone does it oh man we were watching a movie in class and you know sometimes you just really have to to little, let a little toot go you know and I didn't want to let a two go in my middle of my second grade class and so i in the we were watching for the movie i was trying to hold it in and then a really funny part happened in the movie and everyone laughed really hard and that just it just was too much i let it go and it wasn't one of those you could blame on someone else the entire class looked straight at me and that's wow. probably my most vivid childhood memory because i can't <laughs> the, the embarrassment from it was too strong
0: wow i mean i've got to ask a follow-up because children are cruel I hope there wasn't like a nickname that stuck with that from that moment on
1: (laughs) no I didn't get any nicknames at least not to my face so that's good
0: (laughs) wow geez it's kind of like that awkward thing would you rather a silent but deadly or a loud and just nothing comes from it like,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, at least with Silent Deadly, you can try to blame it on some. True,
0: it was a dog. You know, some yep. growing
1: boy in your class. It I'm was just Jenny. Saying, yeah. yeah, Jenny.
0: <laughs> yeah, did
1: nope, it. nope, It was Logan.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not. I don't know about her. She, she would never do that. She's a good girl. Um, <laughs> your favorite pump up song is.
1: Hmm. Like, is, do you mean a song that I listen to before competition? Or yeah, I like
0: get you, get you in the zone, kind but see, of. see, I don't
1: thing. like to listen to a to historic, like to classical pump up songs when I'm okay. before competition. Like, I what need do a song that chills then? me down. Um, my favorite right now is um, an artist called Noah Khan,
0: okay. and they're a
1: little more sad, chill songs. But they really just like get me in the mood for some ski jumping. You can't be too amped for ski jumping. You gotta kind of be in the zone.
0: Right. I like that. So like, is that then could you contact Nara and just basically be like, Hey, like this really helps me. Like you should kind of write more music for ski jumpers.
1: (laughs) No, I don't want to influence him. He needs to write his normal music and it's just going to work for me. If you don't want him to be, have the ski jumper thing in his head.
0: Well, I mean, having said that though, should you win gold in Beijing, like you got to be like, oh, thank you, Noah, like your music like can help me, And then boom, Spotify up the charts, like come on. Yeah, all right.
1: If if I win gold in Beijing, we'll set that
0: up. <laughs> Done. All right, that works. Um, the most recent TV show. I mean, you said you don't really like watching Netflix, so I don't know if this works. But if there was one, the most recent TV show that you binge watched is.
1: Um, I recently. I think it's a nice contrast. I knit little, I knit sweaters while watching Dexter.
0: Ah, nice.
1: You feel like an old grandma knitting sweaters, but like you're watching Dexter. So it's not as.
0: (laughs) You're watching someone kill people. So like, oh, this is, this is. And is that his anticipation for the, the reboot? Is that kind of getting yourself in the zone for the. You know, I
1: didn't know about it until just recently, but I am now excited about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah kind of works out. i was i was planning on doing a rewatch before the reboot because it's been a while since i've watched it. It's a lot like, of seasons
1: though
0: yeah there's like eight or seven or, or something like have you yeah. watched it before though like is this something you've seen through before dexter yeah yeah well
1: i've okay, been so to you, watch it once right
0: yeah. i was gonna say you know how it ends and i don't know because everyone yeah, always gets yeah. no, no, ramped up over the ending. <laughs> yeah it's like uh, yeah it's i'll be honest with you it's like I wasn't fully satisfied with the ending, but it's also one of these shows which I'm like, it's not as bad as people. Like, the ending of How I Met Your Mother is shit. Like, screw the yeah. ending of that show. Whereas Dexter, I'm like, I mean, they could have done better, but it wasn't the worst. I've seen worse. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Lumberjack Dexter. Spoiler. Um, What's something that people usually describe you as? Hmm... outgoing outgoing yeah (laughs) okay that's handy
1: i'm definitely an extrovert i guess
0: yeah that works i like it last one actually not last one i've I've skipped a whole section here what am i doing ben um your favorite vacation spot is
1: does it have to be somewhere i've gone on vacation
0: i can you can give me one where you've gone and one where maybe you want to go
1: Oh, I mean, I think my hometown of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, is a beautiful vacation spot. I will say uh, it's not really a vacation spot for me. I get to go home and see my family and my dogs and cats. Um, but I do think like in general, I love I love that area, um, but I don't know. We've gone to some really cool places in Switzerland with like high alpine lakes and beautiful mountains that are also really good vacation spots, I think
0: beautiful beautiful i've actually i've looked up a lot obviously since uh doing these of steamboat and it it does look beautiful i mean i've been to i think one ski resort in my life i've never been to a ski like town but uh, i mean it's something that's always fascinated me right like golden beaches surf great fantastic but i'm more like snow give me snow i want (laughs) to see this yeah it looks exciting um if you weren't an athlete i mean again kind of already answered this uh what would you be
1: yeah, I guess my answer to that is, is an engineer. That's my plan. Um, I I hope to kind of apply what I've learned in ski jumping to a future career. So whether it's in um, like aerodynamics or or flight systems or something like that, I think it's a cool compliment. Um, but yeah, I, I want, I really like engineering and I, I want to do that um, when I am finished ski jumping.
0: I'm a big Formula One fan and they always need good aerodynamicists. So um, you know, if you want to stay in the sporting world, uh that could be a cool little thing to to pursue. Uh two food based ones to close it out. This is gonna make me hungry. First of all, your least favorite foods are
1: Well, I'm a vegetarian, so I guess any meat
0: yep, <laughs> would be that, my that
1: least works.
0: favorite food. Uh yeah. Okay. Is there is a, a least favorite vegetable, like kind of that you just something you won't touch?
1: Um I don't really like Swiss chard.
0: Okay. Interesting. Very unique. Like I though. like Brussels sprouts,
1: I like broccoli, I like all the classic bad vegetables, but for some reason Swiss chard, I can't do it.
0: Doesn't doesn't float the boat. Okay. Mm-hmm. The last one, your favorite chip flavor is? Chip. Hmm
1: barbecue wait oh, yes. but don't you're not one of those countries that says chips as fries are you
0: we, we are but i i am referring to what most normal countries would refer to as a chip not us we okay. australians <laughs> okay well uh fries
1: i like fries normal fries um yep. chips i like barbecue chips
0: good answer good answer yeah. i like it i like yeah it's it's it is a strange thing coming to australia and going like let's go get some chips and you're thinking you're going to be, and all of a sudden we're bringing like a bag of like fries. You're like, what the hell is going on there? Like kind of, you know, generally it's hot chips. It's kind of very British. Like we're going to get some hot chips. That's, oh, yeah. how posh. I know, right, exactly. Uh, Logan, before we let you go, if people want to sort of follow your journey to Beijing and beyond uh, social media, where can people sort of uh, check you out?
1: I'm most active on Instagram and I'm just there at logan.sanky.
0: Perfect TikTok a thing. Like I always like to ask people about TikTok because I don't even know what the hell TikTok is. But you know, my TikTok
1: is very eclectic right now. I'm, I am log sync on TikTok, but um, I don't. It's it's kind of niche It's like some engineering, some ski jumping, some lots of dogs. I I don't know. I don't know if my TikTok is universally. Uh, uh, appealing
0: <laughs> i think you should start doing this capital like dropping some capitals like you know like some of that would got to go viral somewhere there's some capital geeks out there going like wow she knows her stuff
1: well if they're really capital geeks they already know they, already
0: yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. they don't need tiktok you not.
1: need something more impressive than that to yeah, really get exa- going, exactly.
0: yeah logan it has been a pleasure to, to learn more about your your career and, and everything moving forward we've got all our fingers and toes crossed Beijing and and to see you there to get that gold medal to get some music sponsorship going out there as well and uh we uh we look forward to also having you uh come to Australia and uh start recruiting some of these long overdue Australian ski jumpers because it's got to happen eventually
1: yes of course thanks for having me it was fun
0: and a massive thanks to Logan such a great chat and I feel ashamed that I should know more world capitals because sure I can get some of those, but uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you half of those ones. So uh, well done there, Logan. Again, make it an Olympic sport. Naming capitals of the world. Make Naming flags of the world an Olympic sport. I might be in with a chance to be an Olympian. Brisbane 2032. Make it happen. But thanks again. To logan for joining us here on the show more great content coming your way as i said at the top less than a week to go to beijing episodes every single day to keep you entertained you just you're frothing at the bit for olympics and episodes every single day between now and the closing ceremony what more could you want as an olympic fan best way to never miss one of these episodes of course is search off the podium on your podcast platform of choice while you're there leave us some feedback we'd love to get a review from you we'd love to hear what you think of the show and jump on social media as well search her off the podium instagram twitter facebook leave some feedback there send us a message say how much you miss jared jared's voice hasn't been heard for a while so let's hear that again and you will be hearing it soon so get on board all of those And also YouTube. This interview is available as a video episode. You can find that on YouTube as well. Search for Off The Podium there. Big thanks again to Logan. Shout out to Jason Momoa. My name is Ben. This is Off The Podium. And as always, go left. What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's Ben again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a sports podcast award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on best Olympic and Paralympic podcast section, listen to the other nominees and then go, Hey, off the podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort and we just love them. And they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever, literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.